hiring is a big problem still, a massive problem. The, the, this is a, a major national problem. It, it's a major problem in New York. It's a major problem in California. The, the only difference is, is when you, you talk about the numbers. So you, you'll talk to somebody in, in Florida and they'll be like, we can't, even at $15 an hour, we can't find anybody to work. You know, in New York, you're like, well, even at 20 or $25 an hour, we can't find anybody to work. And in California, they're like at $30, we can't find anybody to work. Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You heard that all before. Finding enough staff to keep the orders coming and the kitchens open is crushing many restaurants, fast food outlets, eateries, as well as many retail and other establishment and companies across America and the globe. That was a clip from my interview with Sam Sitz. He's the CEO of Grubber, which has developed a lot of technology, machines, and interesting solutions for the restaurant and catering industries in response to the demand for higher productivity, higher revenues, and in response to the dire shortages of workers. Sam is a fountain of knowledge and he feels there is good news both for workers and employers as machines, robots, ghost kitchens and self-service technology move deeper into every aspect of our daily lives. My interview with Sam Sitz of Grubber is coming up in a wee moment. We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people. Well, I hope you're all well. We have a great show coming up. My interview with Sam Sitz, the CEO of Grubber, is entirely appropriate as we see labour shortages across the economy and as machines and robots Spread fear and loading in some quarters. We'll get to that in a moment. You can find us across all the media channels at Dig Life Deep on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And you can go to my website. Just go to John Aiden Byrne and you can find me on LinkedIn at John Aiden Byrne. There's a great new podcast on all things money and markets, which took an in-depth look at cryptocurrencies this week with some conclusions that may surprise, shock and make you nod in agreement. You may even get mad. The podcast is called Odeon Capital Conversations with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein of Odeon Capital Group. Many of you will know Dick Beauvais from his regular appearances in the print and broadcast media. He's up there on all the business news channels. This podcast is up there also on Apple, Spotify and on all the good platforms. And it is hosted by yours truly. Episode 14 of Odeon Capital Conversations just dropped this week. Finally, this is also very exciting and appropriately ties in with our guest on this show. I'm talking about a short new weekly segment here on Dig Life Deep with Ira Wolf. He's an incredible expert in the field of labor and markets. The segment is called Future Shock. 2.0 and it is about business and workforce trends 
caused by the convergence of people, business and technology. I caught up with Ira Wolf this week to tell us more about the segment which officially starts on our next episode of Dig Life Deep. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Ira Wolf, I'm very excited about this new segment. This week, you're sort of going to reintroduce yourself. You were a guest on a previous show uh, on Dig Life Deep. The reaction was huge. I've had calls from people, emails saying, you got to have Ira back. Well, we're not going to have you back uh, for full shows for now, but you're going to do a segment for us every week on workforce trends and the business environment. It's Future Shock 2.0 is what we've come up with. That's a great name. Future Shock was the name of the famous book by Alvin Toffler. You are a prolific author, workforce trends expert, and top five global thought leader on the future of work and HR. And HR is shorthand for human resources, as if anybody needs reminding some mice. You're also a TED Talk speaker, and you have your own podcast, Busy Person. Tell us about yourself, and we'll take it from there. Hey, thanks very much, John. Yeah, it's great to be back, and I'm thrilled to know that people were listening and wanted me to have, have me back on here. Uh, I've been studying this for following this, I can't say studying it, but researching and following workforce trends for, for most of my, my career uh, for at least 25 years to find out what was happening. Uh, about 20 years ago, I published, I, I coined the term perfect labor storm to predict, uh, kind of forecast, it wasn't a prediction, but forecast where things would be going and uh, wrote a second edition. And then my last edition was recruiting in the age of Googleization. Or, and Googleization really became that convergence of people, technology and business, uh, which is where we are now. And But I, I love that we settled on this future show uh, for for any younger listeners who and there's probably a lot of them out there a little younger than us um, future shock uh, was a pretty big deal in the late 60s and 1970 uh, with Alvin Toffler and the definition of it it makes total sense they defined it as a psychological state of individuals and societies that occurred uh, because there was so much stress and it, and too much change was happening in too short a period of time and how appropriate that here we are in 2020, 2020 was the fifth, or we're in 2022, but the 50th anniversary was in 2020 in the book. Think about that. So much change happening in too short a period of time that disrupted really every industry, every, every segment of society, the whole world shut down. We were quarantined, economies were collapsing. Uh, you know, we still managed to somehow still have wars. <laughs> you know, through, through that. Sadly. But yeah, I mean, there, there wasn't a phase of our life that, that wasn't uh, disrupted. And, and we're, we're feeling the, the impact of that with mental illness and stress and burnout. And, and, you know, people couldn't wait for the pandemic to end. And now I think many are sorry that it actually ended because life is very, very different and will continue to be different. And that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. I mean, you talked about wars. We had the Cold War when Alvin Toffler uh, published his book, and now we have a real sad war in the Ukraine. Um, so much has happened. You talked about stress. Stress back in the 60s, 70s, 80s probably meant something different than the kind of stress we're seeing today. I, I call it accelerating and deepening stress because of the 
some positives and some negatives convergence of business and technology and workforce trends. Yeah, I mean, we go back into our into our, our life, and again, people talk about this is is not normal, and yet, I mean, I remember the you talk about the threat of the Cold War. This seems pretty hot, you know, recently. But, you know, I remember having air raid drills. I remember, you know, as a young kid crawling under desks like that was going to save us from a nuclear attack. Uh, but that was pretty scary. Um, you know, people were building bunkers in their backyards and, and you know, air shelters. And that wasn't too long after World War II. So it was pretty fresh. And now, you know, 70, 80 years later, people are talking about how for multiple generations, for at least three generations, they never experienced a global threat like this. And yet for, you know, older baby boomer, it's pretty normal. So we're going to be talking about the impact of that, um, why these things may be different. And obviously we, we, I know you and I love talking about this, so we should have some exciting segments coming up. No, I think it's going to be very exciting. And your own podcast is extremely popular and you cover these topics on another level and you've guests on your show as well. Yeah, it's Geek Skeezers and Googleization. So I hope uh, everybody will go up and, and check us out as well. And each week we interview at least one, sometimes two uh, business leaders, HR leaders. Uh, and we try to focus on, because that's where my main interest is, on the future of work. So it has to do with everything from where you're going to find people to what, what work is and what organizations are going to look like and how people are going to be paid and how work gets done and what careers and education, all, all of those things. Our new segment is Future Shock 2.0. The segment is about business and workforce trends caused by the convergence of people business and technology and people of course includes workers in the labor markets we'll start next week on labor force trends and then we'll have a segment on short-term disruptive trends and forecasts your forecasts for 2022 and 2023 then we'll get on to the idea of going to college your best advice for somebody graduating from college and then we'll take another side of that do you need to go to college to get ahead in life and have a career and then later on we'll talk about do workers need to worry about a machine a robot taking over their jobs there's a lot in there ira and it's going to be really enjoyable and formative. It's going to be stimulating. And we're going to walk away with this with a lot of new thoughts and things that we can just discuss in our daily lives. Can't wait to, to dive into it, John. Thanks very much. That was Ira Wolf, who will be coming to us each week with a segment on business and workforce trends in Future Shock. 2.0. Thank you, Ira. I can't wait. Ira is an author, workforce trends expert, and a top five global thought leader on the future of work and human resources. And of course, we'll continue to bring you interviews with top leaders in industry and the economy, authors, mental health experts, religious leaders, movers and shakers from the world of entertainment and Hollywood and the broad culture and these are all seamlessly bound together in each episode of dig life deep celebrating a spirit of enterprise free enterprise optimism and hope in an age of unprecedented change and sometimes and frankly a lot of political and social chaos i'm your host john aden Byrne. 
My guest is Sam Sitz. He's the CEO of Grubber, which has developed a lot of technological solutions, self-service machines, and interesting labor-saving devices for the restaurant and catering industry that he believes will ultimately be great for business, workers, and the economy. And I know what some of you are thinking out there. The machines, the robots are here to take away all our jobs. And maybe some aspects of that are actually true. And in the short term, there will be pain and jobs displacement. And, you know, i got to be frank, not all of it can be good. But in the long term, at least according to Sam, and by my own estimation, it's probably going to be a net plus if everything is done and deployed right and intelligently. I've heard the stories, some drawbacks with some of these robots. Their batteries run low, they need to be recharged, they speak in weird languages, they fail sometimes, and sometimes they freak customers out. But Sam sets an optimistic tone, I found them fascinating, and some of the news is refreshing and good. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Sam, welcome to my show. Oh, thank you for having me on today. You'll pardon the pun, but you're in a very fast-paced industry. Tell us about what you do and what you're selling out there. Yeah, so uh, Grubber is in the self-ordering space, so yeah, which has really come to, to prominence given the you know three major factors as of the of the last couple of years. You know, first being you know the the problems with the the global pandemic. Uh, second, uh, you know, Biden when he was elected was one of its four platforms was the $15 an hour minimum wage. And then third is, is, has been this great resignation. And as a result of, of those three things, it really accelerated what should have occurred in the, the restaurant space and many other spaces anyway, uh, which is the movement away from cashiers and the movement towards automation. And that automation comes in the form of three things, kiosks, mobile ordering and online ordering. And this should have, uh, my point is this should have happened before, no different than what happened at banks, right? We used to go to a bank. We used to stand in a long line. We used to see a teller. The tellers are gone now and they've been replaced by ATMs and online banking. And we used to go to the airport and we used to stand in a long line to see a ticketing agent. And that ticketing agent's been replaced by a QR code on your phone or a bank of 40 kiosks that never have a wait. That should have occurred in the restaurant space, but it didn't because what you had is such inexpensive labor that people said, instead of investing in technology, we'll just continue to throw cheap labor at the, the, the problem. You know, we identified, you know, a few years ago that this is where the future was going. And we thought, hey, we'll just get ahead of the curve and we'll we'll build it now, pay the idiot tax and, and be ready when when you know the, the market, you know adopts to it. You know, you, you, the normal trajectory is you have your early adopters and then, you know, people start to, to pile on. Because of those three factors with COVID and the great resignation, it accelerated that. And then what happened is it moved everybody's timeline to, to now and they all went scurrying, looking for solutions. And, and fortunately for us, all roads kind of led to, to Grubber. So, 
you know, that's that's what we do. Our vision is that the you know the the point of sale system is is going to to disappear, and you're going to rely more on kiosks, mobile, and online ordering. And the online could be through a third party delivery service like an Uber Eats or DoorDash, or it could be through the company's you know website. You are a self ordering technology in the restaurant and services space you mentioned there about how a lot of the human or you mentioned how the human tellers are gone from banks airports and so on i still see human tellers myself Mm -hmm. at banks and at bank branches i don't think they're entirely gone and that they're going to be completely disposed of no what ends up happening is you, so if you if you took a, a teller, there used to be you know six tellers in line. Now you probably have one, but you probably have a lot more people in the bank. So from an employee perspective, the banks have more employees today than they did when they had tellers. The difference is those employees are doing higher value activities that generate more revenue for the bank and have you know more satisfaction to the employee, right? So they're not doing as many mindless things. They're, they're doing things that actually require more thought or have more complexity to them. So what you're seeing now, even you know, on the forward-looking companies that have started to implement our technology, most of them put their foot in the water. And what I mean by that is they had three cashiers, they'll go down to one cashier. And what they quickly realize is they get a you know 70 to 80% of the consumers now go and place those orders at the the kiosk what's more material is what we found in most of the the chains is over 50% of those consumers will elect an upsell which helps generate additional revenue by increasing average ticket to the restaurant and quite frankly provides um, more choice to the consumer. No different than think about when you go on Amazon, you order a product, then all of a sudden you're presented with additional items that you weren't necessarily intentionally looking for, but really resonate with you. And you're like, you know what? That That's something that could be very valuable to me and I'll, I'll take that. So by utilizing AI and machine learning, you're able to provide recommendations of additional potential, you know, either food or, or products that that consumer may like based on, you know, the the history of other consumers' choices. I've read studies which have shown that um, this self-service technology, uh, your products and the Ubers and the DoorDashes and all the other providers out there, uh, rather than eliminating jobs in the long term, they actually help generate more jobs and employment and raise revenues and productivity because there is this abiding fear i mean some of it in the short term seems to be real that a lot of jobs will be eliminated i mean obviously bank tellers uh jobs have been cut back but as you pointed out higher value jobs and a higher quality experience and better and more higher productivity has replaced all of that that, that's 100% true. That, that's exactly what, what ends up happening. So, you know, before, you know, the, the, the labor shortage, the knee-jerk reactions from people would be like, oh, you're putting people out of work. And that's why we would point to these other industries and say, every time that this has occurred, not only have the numbers not gone down, 
the number of employees have ultimately increased, but more importantly than the number of employees increasing, the quality of those jobs and the pay for those jobs has increased dramatically. So that, that, that's just the natural evolution of, of progress. Technology does displace certain jobs, but it replaces it typically with far better jobs. So human beings will have a vital role. They're not being eliminated and removed from, because we hear all this talk about the robots, robotic technology. It's kind of a scary um, sound to it even that nobody's going to be on the work floors. Nobody's going to be in Walmart working or packing shelves. Nobody's going to be in the restaurant. No smiling, sort of like a dehumanizing culture out there. Yeah, well, what we're seeing is, is the opposite. So for, first off, right now, there, there's a huge shortage. So right now, there, there, there is a real issue. And that real issue is restaurants are having to close their doors or dramatically limit their hours of operation, not for lack of demand. They've got plenty of demand. They don't have anybody there that can wait on the table or take the orders or prepare the food. So they initially, by putting in our type of technology, you can reallocate those labor resources from the front of the house to the to the back of the house. Okay. Once you know that labor you know shortage hopefully has been eliminated, what you then do is you now reallocate those people to a higher use. For example, if you have a bank of four kiosks, you should have an employee there that's walking around, greeting people, maybe providing some samples and answering any questions somebody might might have. That's a better job experience for the employee and higher value provided to to the consumer. The the numbers though, are over 80% of consumers would prefer to order on technology versus ordering from, from a person. I mean, look, this isn't 1950 and Norman Rockwell painting with Johnny behind the soda fountain counter saying, golly gee, it's great to, to see you today. How's everything going, right? <laughs> I mean, what's the experience you're getting now is, is typically a cashier who's staring at their phone and you just annoyed them because you're, you're interrupting them. So it, this isn't that type of experience. And it, candidly, why is it that? Because it's not a fulfilling job. They're doing something that's mindless that they're not thinking about. So you, and that's the point of technology and the point of robots is to eliminate the the things that that are repetitive and don't require thought, and then put people in positions where they do have to show creativity and thought and interaction. I would imagine there will be different flavors of all this self-ordering technology. Some of the more traditional restaurants will still insist on having three or four waiters, you know, the fine dining places, and others will have the electronic ordering device at your table where you can put in your main course and whatever. I mean, it'll will it be a mixed picture? Technology always enhances. So let, let's take even your, your fine dining uh, uh, approach. You know, if you're walking into a Michelin uh, starred restaurant, you're, you're probably not expecting to, to order uh, on a tablet or on a kiosk or, or on your phone. However, the experience would be far better if that waiter or waitress, when they came to your table, was utilizing technology 
and was able to place that order immediately in there as opposed to transcribing it on a piece of paper, then having to wait until they can go to a point of sale system to then enter it before the kitchen knows that that food's ready. So you take a typical waiter, you know, they take your order. In your head, your clock starts ticking, right? Your internal clock says, okay, I expect food should be ready in X minutes. The truth of the matter is, by the time that waiter heads over to the POS, another table flags them down and they have a request and then another table. So by the time they get it over there, hopefully they, they one, transpose everything correctly so your order is accurate. But, you know, five, 10 minutes might have gone by, whereas you, you, technology would have created a, a more efficient process there. That's interesting. So it can accelerate the uh, delivery time from when you place your order, whether this is in a fine dining establishment or in just a regular diner, from the point of putting in the order to delivery. Customers are satisfied, feel they're getting better service, and the restaurant can turn around more tables and bring in more guests. What was it like during COVID? Did everything shut down for you? For for us, we we were able to to continue to to work. What ended up happening is, is we we got a lot of frantic phone calls from from restaurants uh, chains, and uh, I remember there was there was a, a chain in, in Central uh, Florida, a sushi chain, and they called frantic because none of their workers, none of the cashiers would come into the come to work because they were afraid they were going to die. Candidly, it was a, a common concern among a lot of people at the at at that time. So they immediately put our technology in place just out of the necessity of there weren't, you know, no cashiers would show up. The funny part was 30 days later, they called us back and they said, oh my God, you know, yes, you, you solved our problem with the cashiers, but our average ticket has increased between our nine locations, anywhere from 40 to 50%. Wow. So that that's where, you know, people come to us because we solve labor, hmm. but they, they end up really seeing the, the value from what we're able to do to help them generate additional customer experience. Well, that's going to work for certain kind of establishments that have the cash flow and the capital to invest in your products. I mean, I can't imagine it would be cost effective for a mom and pop. Actually, you know, we did a partnership um, last year with Samsung. So, you know, Samsung's fifth most recognizable brand in the world. Their largest manufacturer of TVs and cell phones and digital signage. So they decided to enter the, the kiosk space. And why that's material is everybody has that exact perception that, that you just outlined. Why? Because they read the headlines. McDonald's spent a billion dollars on kiosks. And they think, a billion? I don't even have a million. This is cost prohibitive. McDonald's was spending about $10,000 a kiosk, and they were spent over $150 million developing the software in five years. That's cost prohibitive for just about everybody. However, with our partnership with Samsung, it allows us to democratize the, our offering. Instead of having to pay $10,000 for a kiosk, you can now have one for a retail price of $2,500. And instead of spending $150 million on software, our software is less than $200 a month. So we're instantly accretive. The minute you put it in, you will start throwing more money to your bottom line than the day before, which means you don't have to wait six months, a year, two years to get a return on that investment. No, the return on the investment is literally 
the minute you put it in, you, you start to realize that. Do you have competition in your space? I, I define our competitors into three categories. They're either POS systems turn sideways and they call it a kiosk. Mm-hmm. It's an app on an iPad. Both of those don't work for clearly obvious reasons. And the third is, is actually the McDonald's example, which is custom development shops. And the problem is it's uh, very costly. It's very lengthy. There's a lot of risk uh, that you get it right, or you just have a bunch of you know garbage. Yeah. Um, and then it's limited to that particular use case. So it'll work for McDonald's, but it won't work outside of McDonald's. So, so you, as you said earlier, you make it affordable for the mom and pops as well. I, I got a kick out of this one: the emergence of ghost kitchens, the virtual kitchen, mm-hmm. and that seemed to have taken root during COVID. Although it may have ex- it existed prior, clearly, but the concept of the virtual kitchen accelerated during COVID. Can you explain to us uh, what that's about? Some people call them dark kitchens. Yeah, dark kitchens, cloud kitchens, ghost kitchens are all pretty much synonymous. Clearly, they were a, a net beneficiary similar to how we have been with the increase in, in ordering online and having delivery. So they, I, I think it's going to be around for, for a long period of time. I think this is, you know, a new way of, of being able to to satisfy that demand. Uh, we actually work closely with with a number of, of those operations because we have a unique uh, technology inside of our kiosk called our concessionaire mode, which allows for multiple restaurant concepts inside of one kiosk. So the cloud kitchens normally have you know five. 10, 20 different concepts in one kitchen. And majority of their food is, is being delivered. But there are still people that go to that ghost kitchen and pick up or want to order. So now the ghost kitchen doesn't have to have a cashier or take, most of them don't have a cashier to start with anyway. They don't have to take somebody off the, you know, quote, production line to go take that order. You know, they pick it up. Ghost kitchens have typically, most ghost kitchens have, call it five to 20 concepts. Yeah. So it's one kitchen, but they can prepare food for for multiple different types of of restaurants. And you know, the majority of those orders are are delivery orders. So delivery people show up, they pick up the order and they take it out. A yep. lot of people will also go there and either pick up or try to place that order by putting the kiosk in there. We're able to take those orders, which eliminates the the need for them to take somebody off the production line of preparing food to go take that order, and it allows them to to generate additional revenue from walk-in clients. So that listeners are totally clear, a lot of people will get it, but these virtual kitchens literally are that. They exist they're not walk-ins, I guess, is an easy way to put it. It's not like walking into a restaurant with a kitchen um, in the next room. You order and the kitchen could be somewhere very remote, but they will deliver food to your doorstep. Correct. Yeah. So so they're they're typically in less expensive real estate. So, you know, you can set of if, if the main drag is, is, you know, everybody's paying, you know, 100x for, for you know, lease space. You go a block off, you you might be able to get you know real estate for for half that. Well, you know now you can prepare food there and have it delivered to those same consumers, but your your cost of rent is, is down significantly, and then you obviously get the synergies of having you know ten or fifteen concepts in one kitchen as opposed to 
15 separate kitchens that you, you have to pay for. The, the right. benefit is now with our technology, you can allow somebody to walk up and, and, and place an order and, and pick it up as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these ghost kitchens are not places that have, you know, seating or, or typically they don't have seating or any place for, for somebody to, to dine in. It's, it's designed for either a driver or a consumer to come pick up the food and, and leave. So they could pick it up at the ghost kitchen or it will be delivered to them or both sets of ideas? Oh, both options. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. My guest is Sam Sitz. He's the CEO of Grubber, which has developed a lot of technological solutions, self-service machines, and interesting labor-saving devices for the restaurant and catering industry that he believes will ultimately be great for business, workers, and the economy. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. What markets, geographic markets, do you serve? Right now, clear, you know, we're, we're the U.S., Canada, Latin America, and uh, we've got some pilots going uh, on right now in the in the, the U.K. and we're rolling out throughout uh, a number of European countries. What's your biggest market? Right now, it's the the U.S., but uh, LATAM is. Uh, is starting to heat up. And um, of all the cities, the big cities, which ones rank number one, two, three? I would say it probably follows the the census. You know, the, the bigger the cities, the the the, the more uh, clients that are there. I, I'm just trying to figure, you know, per capita or some measure like that. I mean, is New York popular? With yes, yeah, yeah, clearly New York and California, Texas and Florida are the the most popular. Because that's been a constant complaint in New York City, trying to find staff for the cashiering or for the, the kitchen or the front wait staff. It's just a hiring is a big problem still, a massive problem. The, the, this is a, a major national problem. It, it's a major problem in New York. It's a major problem in California. The, the only difference is the, the, the you know, is when you, you talk about the, the numbers. So You'll talk to somebody in, in Florida and they'll be like, we can't, even at $15 an hour, we can't find anybody to work. You know, in New York, you're like, well, even at 20 or $25 an hour, we can't find anybody to work. And in California, they're like, at $30, we can't find anybody to work. So yeah. it, it, it just, you know, obviously, you know, when the cost of living is higher, the the expectation for, for salaries are, are higher. And, and there's just a shortage, which, you know, when there's a shortage, the 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 knee jerk re- reaction uh, is well, you have to pay somebody more to attract them to take the job. Well, mm-hmm. that becomes a you know a, a cyclical uh, event, right? It's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's all these sign on bonus and so on. I, I'm I'm all pro worker. I want workers to make as much as they possibly mm-hmm. can. You know, I'm I'm really big on that. But have you do you get any sense that um, as the minimum wage keeps rising? and salaries keep rising you did allude to it obviously um is that forcing bosses to bring in technology to make up for the problems in that 
area. Yeah, you, you have to. I mean, the, the the issue is that we're hearing from from the the restaurant owners is even if I I'm willing to pay very high wages, I still can't find people to to work. So th- this isn't uh hey, it's you know this wage. It's I can't find the worker. Period. And a lot of that reason is is during the pandemic, these workers went and realized that these aren't jobs. They like these aren't fulfilling, you know. They they get yelled at by their manager all day, and they get yelled at by consumers all day. And instead, they can go get a job with Uber Eats or DoorDash, and they can show up whenever they want. They can leave whenever they want. They go pick up a bag at the restaurant. They drop it at you know, ring somebody's bell and drop it at their their house and and, and take off. And they can make as much, if not significantly, more money. So. I would argue it, it's it's more job satisfaction than than even wages. I, I'm just looking at the list of products you have: the POS screen. We know what that is. Point of sale, self ordering kiosks, kitchen display systems, QR code, um, table ordering. That's sort of a, a very common or becoming more common in restaurants. Mm-hmm. You just get your iPhone and you you um, take an image, I guess, of the QR code, and then then the menu pops up, right? Um, integrated online ordering solutions, and then of course the famous uh, ghost kitchens. What's the next iteration in this whole universe? What's the next buzz? Well, you, you see, in the, in the front of the house, we we do a very good job uh, uh, of solving the the front of the house, and it's a, a combination of you know the the ordering side, meaning you know kiosks, mobile, online ordering. And, and a lot of that allows you to now get outside the four walls of your, your restaurant uh, to, to take orders. Um, now you start to get into to the delivery of it. Uh, so that's why you see like our food lockers. So now the, the staff is able to put that into the, the locker. So when the consumer, even if they ordered online, they show up, they just scan their, their phone with the, the you know, barcode or QR code and then the locker door lights up and opens and they take their food. So this eliminates the congestion around the pickup counters. It eliminates people taking the wrong orders, which, you know, a lot of times you walk in to do your, your pickup and, you know, you're like, okay, it's, you know, my name's, you know, Sally. I see the, the order. It says Sally. I grab it. I leave. Well, guess what? There's more than one Sally. And now <laughs> the restaurant has to make both orders again because neither one wants the, the food that somebody else took. Or you'll see a large crowd waiting for the food to come out and they put the, the bag down and then 30 people go touch the bag. And they're, they're like looking for the, for the name as they rifle through it. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's a, you know, an area you're going to start to see. It also eliminates the, you know, the, the need for, for third-party delivery services from having to go and you know, distract the staff or cut the lines to, to try to pick up their food orders. They can go right to, to this type of pickup and, and do that. So there, there's that, that's the next evolution there. Clearly, you're starting to, to see some more automation in the um, production side, you know, where things are, are being done that can help speed up the, the production of, of food uh, and 
become less dependent on as much labor as historically they've had to to utilize. And, and candidly, they're 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 having to to do this out of necessity, right? You mentioned third party ordering systems uh, without identifying any, but we can mention names, and but we're not pointing fingers at DoorDash or Uber Eats or any of those. You do hear complaints about on time delivery or late deliveries or um, food arriving just not presentable or cold um, at people's doorsteps, all kinds of functional issues. Can that, have you heard those stories? Yeah, we, 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 we in fact, we solve quite a bit of those. So I'll, I'll give you the, the, the use case. It's funny, for years, the, the you know, fast food chains have spent millions of dollars to try to shave you know, seconds or fractions of a second off the, the, the order process. Yet, you know, it's still the early stages of third-party delivery and they're inefficient. So this is the process on how most third-party delivery services operate today with most restaurants. If you walk into a restaurant, you see they have multiple tablets. So the third-party delivery services provided them with a tablet. So you at home place your order. That order gets routed into that tablet. Problem is until somebody acknowledges that tablet, that order has not been processed. So you at home, again, your internal clock has started on how long it should take. But what's happened is there's a hostess or there's a cashier or there's somebody who has to acknowledge that. And they're busy helping other customers or doing other things. So that order might sit there for five, 10, 15 minutes before it's acknowledged. Then it has to be keyed into their point of sale system. Well, I hope you had a very simple order because if there was any complexity to it, chances are that it's not getting keyed in the same way that, that you placed it. No different than the game of telephone as a kid. The more yeah. times you say it, the, the, the less accurate it, it becomes. Until it gets hit in the POS system, the kitchen isn't even aware of this order. We have technology where those orders can now go in straight, seamlessly avoid that tablet, go right into the point of sale system and, and into the KDS so that when you place that order, it's automatically received into the KDS. And then we have throttling functionality that can allow the restaurant owner to decide, where do I give preference? Do I give preference to Uber Eats orders or do I give preference to DoorDash orders? Do I give preference to, to the consumers that are in the restaurant? And, and they can throttle those orders uh, accordingly. But what this allows them to do is, is eliminate a significant amount of, of potential time that's wasted on, on each order. And that improves the consumer experience. It improves the Uber Eats or DoorDash driver experience because their technology says, okay, order was placed here, dispatch driver here. Well, if the order hasn't been placed, the, the driver is now sitting in the restaurant waiting for them to, to make the order. By the way, he works on a fixed flat fee. He doesn't get any extra money sitting there waiting for that order to, to, to be made. So it's costing him money and time and aggravation. The consumer's aggravated, you know, and, and there's very simple solutions that, that we have that can start to, to improve that process. Do we have any uh, stats on how automated the industries are 
in America globally? I mean, all the, the McDonald's have self-ordering system, oh. more and more restaurants. Is, are we at the start of it? Where is it at? Yeah, we're, we're really at the, 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 the start of it. Uh, restaurants have been notorious laggards when it comes to technology, it, mostly because they, they've historically relied on inexpensive labor. So that's changed. And as a result of that in, in you know, COVID and, and everything else, uh, there's been an acceleration to digital technology. And you're going to, you saw it, you know, with a good adoption rate now to, to online ordering. That's, uh-huh. you know, over the last two years has, has improved dramatically. And you're seeing that the companies that had the forethought, that had invested, invested in, in technology, were actually the major winners through, through COVID. And we're having record numbers when the the restaurants who didn't, you know, many of those have closed their doors to never reopen again. And now they'll be replaced by restaurants who will be forward thinking and will put this technology in and will be successful. So it's definitely now top of mind for for all restaurants and and they're looking at it. But I mean, even what we're seeing with a number of, of chains is they're even having we're, you know, delays in implementing technology because their staff is, is there, even their IT staffs are, are, are overwhelmed and don't have the uh, ability to, to, to get involved. So it's kind of delaying that, that process for the, for them to roll out. So, you know, this, this great resignation is, is, is affecting people in, in the obvious ways, but even yeah. in less obvious ways. The growth is um, accelerating, but we're not, we're long ways off for the entire industry to be saturated. Would you say um, only a minority of restaurants overall are, into this technology self-service kind of culture? Um, I would say it's it's a minority that's now the majority have it on their radar and are, you know, looking at, you know, we're, listen, we've got over a uh, hundred chains in, in, in pilot in, you know, you know, the, the, the rollout type stages now. So they're, they're, they're getting it. It's candidly, you know, the other issues you, you run into now are, are supply chain issues. Yeah. You know, you know they're not enough chips. So uh, a number of the manufacturers of even the touchscreen technology are quoting, you know, early 2023 delivery times. Fortunately for us, our partnership with Samsung, you know, Samsung's the largest chip manufacturer in the world. So yeah, we, we don't have that shortage. So we're we're a net beneficiary of that, but that that's a big you know issue with the implementation of, of this type of technology. We we start to see it in New York City and some of the other big cities. More and more, the restaurants are getting into the self service. So my sense is that the the, um, the growth will probably um, really show there in another twelve months. We'll see more and more of the restaurants in the big cities, where eventually maybe the majority of them have some kind of self service technology. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent, uh, yeah. absolutely. A quick bit about your company. You're based in Florida. How many on your staff? Um, we're a currently a privately held uh, company. We've got roughly, you know, well, we're we're adding uh, we're, we're we're adding people at, at a very rapid rate. Probably ten to twenty 
people a week at this this point. Uh, we're north of, I think, a couple hundred people at, at this point. And our, our corporate headquarters are in, in, in Boca Raton, Florida. So it's uh, typically a beautiful here, nine, nine yeah, months out of the year. Funny. It might be a little hot in the summer, but uh, it's a beautiful place well, to uh, live. Well, they've invented... Uh Air conditioners, hundred <laughs> percent. Ever right. since the the invention of air conditioning, uh, Florida has uh, continued to grow. Actually, there's a direct correlation to population growth in the, the invention of uh, air conditioning. Oh, I'm and, sure it's uh, a whole big episode, and uh, yeah, that's interesting. And probably too, um, the service industry too probably has benefited hugely because I remember once um, visiting. Well, I visited Florida lots of times, but one summer I was there and it was extremely hot and humid. Mm -hmm. And I ran for cover to the nearest restaurant. I felt total relief. So there you go. Uh, Absolutely. Sam, where can people reach your company if they want to get more information? Yeah, uh, the the best way to to reach us is through our our website, which is uh, grubber.com. That's G-R-U-B-B, as in boy, double R. Great. Sam, thank you for being on my show. Thank you. You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. Email burndesk at gmail.com. That's burndesk, B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com. Burndesk at gmail.com. Subscribe for free.